Welcome to episode three of Evo Talks, a conversational podcast centered around all things logistics, where we get to learn from and learn about the people that make it go. Evo Talks is brought to you by Evo Trucks. Very excited to uh, have our have today's guest with us. He's the first long haul, uh, first full time long haul truck driver we've had uh, on the on the show, and a very good friend of mine. So, uh, to everybody out there, I'd like to introduce you to Mr. Adam Adamson. Glad to be here. Awesome. So, Adam, let's uh, let's just jump straight into it. So, why don't you uh, tell us about Adam? Who's Adam? Well, Adam is a very interesting sophistical. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm a long haul truck driver. Uh, been uh, here in Canada for uh, six and a half years now. Man, has it been um, that long already? Yeah, it's been that long, yeah. Amazing. Good times fly by. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I've been trucking for, let me see now, 12 years, I think, or just over 11. But been in transport for almost 15 years, uh, between tr- mainly trucking the last uh, 11 to 12 years. <clears throat> um, passenger transportation as well for two years, uh, courier service which was probably the worst job I ever had. <laughs> Very stressful, but... Uh, was that in downtown London? Oh, no, no, no. Lucky enough, not, no. It felt like it most days, yeah. but no, it wasn't. No, that was uh, around uh, the Welsh Valleys. The Welsh and, uh, Valleys. Yeah, the Welsh Valleys. But no, it's... Uh, yeah. Yeah, all right. <laughs> I didn't realize that it's... Uh, that you've been driving... or you've been in transport for 15 years. I didn't realize you had done stuff outside... Of driving a truck, what what did you do? Passenger hauling, taxi, or oh no, that was uh, bus driving, coach driving in the UK. Really? Um, yeah, I actually started off because I knew at some point I wanted to go into truck driving, so I had to sort of build up, you know, experience driving different types of vehicles. Um, so I then uh, passed my license for my car when I was nineteen. When I was twenty or twenty one, I started courier driving, uh, so I drove a van. Yeah. Um, then I went up the buses, didn't have yeah. for two years, and then I think it was a year later that I finally went to trucking then. So, so I made that transition, uh, and of course licenses, licenses here, uh, as far as I know for North America, at least in Canada, uh, for your class one, that automatically allows you to drive, obviously buses. Right. Whereas in the UK, uh, back in the 70s, I think they changed it. Uh, the, the coach license was number one, so if you had that, then you could drive a, a class one. Really? Then they separated everything. Huh. So when you were driving bus, was it like coach tours or driving like tourists around or was it like oh, hockey I, teams? Or hockey I, teams I wish. Yeah, hockey teams, yeah. <laughs> What's that, hockey baseball, right? Right. No, <laughs> uh, no it was uh, uh, public transport for uh, Stagecoach. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Stagecoach, actually, they, they own uh, Megabus. Okay. Or the owner of Stagecoach. Megabus. Megabus. Um, they do service... Um, you see Mountain Ontario quite a bit, and in, in the States, um, around Indiana, around that area. Yeah, you don't really see them right this way. Yeah, I had never heard of me. <laughs> kind of like Greyhound. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Okay. So, okay, so you started in that direction. What got you, what piqued your interest about getting into trucking itself? Like, why was that a direction you wanted to go? 
I think it's when I was when I started driving. Um, uh, started to learn to drive for my car license. Um, my driving instructor always said how you know laid back I was, and you know he could see me as a uh, driving for a profession. Okay. And um, it's that childhood dream, really, isn't it? You know, seeing those big trucks on those films, you know, especially the American conventional trucks. I mean, you can't get more manly than that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and right, uh, the yep. big Kenworths and yeah. uh, the Peterbilts and whatnot. <laughs> And, um, There's a few of our listeners going, yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's it was just a dream. Yep. But it was it was a long. It took me a long time to get there. So the rules and regulations in the UK is quite different. Um, I prefer much over here in terms of actually going in for your license in the UK. Um, I was 25 when I went in for my class one. Um, heck, most companies don't even employ people until they're 27 because of insurance purposes. Really? It's really backwards over there. So would that be similar to, to here where you, it's pretty hard to get a job with a with an established company unless you've had two years uh, driving a record? Would that be sort of the, the equivalent of what you're talking about? Uh, not so much because over here they don't seem to, uh, um, I mean, this is not a nice word to use, but discriminate against age, mm. so to speak. They, mm -hmm. don't, they don't seem to do it over here so much. Right. Uh, whereas in the UK, it was purely... I would imagine that bigger companies can afford to take on younger drivers, but it, even over there, exactly the same principle. They want you to have two years' experience. Well, yeah. you kind of find yourself in that loophole. No one wants to take you That's on. Right. Yeah. Uh, and it's funny because food agencies, they're happy for you to work for them, and they, they like the good work they you know that you do for them on behalf of the agency, but yeah. they don't want to take you on full-time. Right. You know, it's... Uh, it's just one of those unfortunate situations to try and get the experience in the beginning. I think it's uh, it's actually an interesting topic. Is I think things are going to have to change with that model yeah. here in particular. We've got the driver shortage; it's getting worse. Lots of drivers are retiring soon. You know, we have to go. We have to look to the younger generation to start coming in. But it's really hard to attract people when you say, "Well, go do a really menial job that pays." horrible for two years yeah. and maybe we'll bring you on yeah. so i think companies really have to start thinking about how do we bring these young guys on and and train them up to the full level driver that we want versus just always looking for the seasoned guy it's i think for the most part companies gotta go where, where the demand is it's um and it, it is only the bigger companies that can afford such luxuries of giving drivers time to train them yeah um, the terrain over here is much different as well, especially during the se different seasons, um, going over the mountains. It requires it requires good trainers to actually train these drivers up yep. uh, for the most part. Um, I think the companies over here are doing a lot better job than, in general, from my experience back in the UK. Really? Yeah. A lot better. Interesting. For younger drivers, anyhow. Yeah, yeah. Um, of course, I've been over here six and a half years, so I don't know what the situation is now. Right. I know they brought the age down in the UK, because um, it used to be 21. Really weird. Twenty one for a civilian, but eighteen uh, for someone in the military, or maybe a little bit younger. Hmm. Same as with the car license. You know, you have to be seventeen in the military, sixteen. Interesting. It's yeah, it's it's really bizarre. Huh, but no, over, over here, I, I like the way in which they do it over here. Yeah. You know, it's um, the only thing I do find strange. People go from driving an automatic car, and then. No, to go into trucking, they're driving a manual with 18 gears. That blows my mind. Right, that right. That really does. <laughs> yeah, but that's going out the wayside too now, right? I mean, I think most of the new trucks are coming out as automatics these days anyways, aren't they? They are, yeah. yeah, yeah. But then if you break down, you never know where you're going to get. So, yeah, true, I mean, yeah. it, most companies, from my experience, most companies don't tend to really want to take on drivers that only have a automatic license because yeah. they're limited. Right, um, that's a good point, yeah. But um, 
I would imagine in the next five to ten years, it would be pretty standard yeah. unless you buy all the trucks. Right. You know, the newer trucks are going to be, I mean, the, as we've spoken about before, the, the way in which the te technology is going, it's yeah, automatic is the only way forward. Right. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's let's take a step back here. So so when you started driving in Europe, the time you were you were over there, what um, what kind of work did you do? Did you work with flat decks? Was it vans, container work? What, what primarily were you working in? Uh, it was all uh, curtain cider, so it's you can say it's along the line of uh, um, a posh flat deck because you kind of <laughs> you still kind of do flat deck yep, work, yep. Uh, but um, the in, uh, universal use of a of a um, curtain cider uh, we used to haul lumber you could haul over length loads you know, I've done them it's a bit more tricky because there's stuff you got to do with the with the curtains and whatnot or with the, the doors open, like uh, like the curtains on your window and you have the pipe sticking out the back or what sometimes yeah really, eh? or even on windy days um, <laughs> there was a, a highway going from north to east uh, from uh, west to east or east to west uh, northern England uh, is the highest highest mountain mountain road in the UK and yeah, on a, on a on a windy day, we'd actually open the curtain side, of, uh, the, the the curtains right to the back, fold the doors around them, um, ratchet strap them in place, and that's how you went across that stretch of uh, highway. Just so there was less wind resistance, like yeah. Oh, really? it was bad. Wow. It was really bad. That's yeah. There's a lot of trucks that went to sleep on that highway. I can tell <laughs> you. <laughs> Would you say that uh, the curtain side trailers are more prevalent in the UK than here? Because they're not like a super big thing here. No, they're not. Um, and I can understand the reason why. Um, from the UK, the nice thing about, I think the market, the way in which the market um, actually grows around transport and transport around the market, um, it happens to work well in the UK. Um, but you see uh, German companies, they'll have uh, different, they'll have curtain siders, but they'll have like um, rolling roofs and whatnot. Right. So they roll open, so... Uh, crane lifting and stuff like that but um hmm. yeah for the most part it's the nice thing about a curtain side it's it's universal you can have lumber um you can have food you can have um it's a dry van and a flat deck basically right, yeah yeah, yeah. yeah you know, it gives i, you I why we didn't see more of them here i know they're expensive to buy which i think is probably one reason but yeah it always seemed to me like a pretty practical solution to you know don't get stuck just having a dry van or a flat deck do both <laughs> it, it is I often wondered why the company that I, that I currently work for they um, they got a roll tight, and there was a very interesting conversation when they brought that out because, of course, they were asking the opinion of some of the drivers that are driven in uh, in Europe. And first of all, I was like, "No, no, you know, curtain side is the only way forward. Curtain side is the only way forward." And you start working with it, and you see the customers uh, that we're actually working for with this trailer, yeah. and it makes sense. Yeah. I mean, for me, in the North American market, the roll tight trailer, so. Basically, with a curtain side, you could open one side, have the other side closed. With a roll tight, the whole, uh, the walls, the the ceiling, you completely roll that section back. I was going to ask the what the difference is. That's a good explanation. So, um, and that's, and again, it's more versatile. So you can okay. you can load with a crane, you can side load. You know, I've been in this business fifteen years, and I've worked with every kind of <laughs> and equipment there is. <laughs> and I've had people ask me for roll tights, for curtain sides, and up until this very moment, I thought they were the same thing. So there you go. I'm learning too. <laughs> Outstanding. Well, that's the thing about this industry, isn't it? It's uh, it's always it's always coming up with new techniques, new ways of working, mm -hmm. and to everything there's an advantage and a disadvantage. Um, oversized finding a way to keep that roll tight, tucked out of the way for an oversized load. That's something that um, 
or that's one of the challenges that we're finding with this roll tight right because you want to maximize uh, your load potential yeah and um and again it depends on the company and which way they look forward um you've got to be the bottom line is in, in transportation general you've got to have that innovative spirit yeah. spirit if you don't have it you're not going to succeed well as simple said. as that yeah really well said okay so let's step back again so <laughs> again? after after uh, a <laughs> few years uh, driving in europe you decided at some point you know what i want to make a switch i don't know if you looked at canada immediately but maybe walk us through that process what what made you decide i want to look somewhere else and then what made you decide canada was the place you were going to go I mean, Canada for the, the all-year-round sunshine and lovely suntans. <laughs> Beautiful weather, uh, <laughs> especially Manitoba. Especially Manitoba. Um, I actually, Canada was a, a conversation I had with a friend when I was working on the buses. So that would have been 2002 to 2004. Also, the seed was planted early. Very early. Yeah. So that's something that he was looking into. Um, and it immediately got me thinking. And since then, 2000, I'd say 2004, I started looking into it, uh, but then back then I didn't even have a class one, um, and it wasn't until 2006 that I really started to up looking at different things in Canada, you know, online, housing, different areas, uh, obviously the trucks, a lot of trucks, <laughs> the big conventional trucks, um, and then it was uh, yeah early 2007 that I just thought, that's it, I know what I want to do, uh, get my get my license. I uh, went on uh, Immigration Canada, saw that they were looking for a minimum of three to five years proven experience. Yeah. So I thought, right, I'll set out with at least five years. And um, basically that's what happened. I had five years experience before I actually came to Canada. So was coming to Canada something that you were planning to do with or without trucking? Like, And trucking became a vessel that gave you the opportunity to come here? I suppose a bit of both. Um, what I liked from what I saw uh, when I was looking on the, on the internet was um, just the land side, um, uh, land size. Okay. Not for one second did I real did I realize that the prairies was this flat. <laughs> literally. <laughs> literally, a I, I flat area. Didn't even realize that before coming here. It's a basketball court. Um, it's like I'm over on a research trip. That's when I realized. I was like, wow, this is just like someone got an iron out and you know, <laughs> maybe the big man upstairs come up with a big iron and just flattened it out going. Here you go. You've got some rocky parts. Here you go. I'm going to lay you off of this yeah, part. We'll make this part really simple. <laughs> it's, I think it's a, I, I personally didn't have anything, any credentials uh, other than trekking that would have got me over here. Mm -hmm. um, and for me, it was, uh, driving is just freedom. Yeah. Ever since I started to learn to drive, it was, I just loved it. And in the UK, it's it's nice. Uh, I never went onto the continent driving. It was only in the UK, and um, just really enjoyed it. And for me, I'm not, and I'm, I'm not a, a nine to five driver. That just would not suit me. For me, it's all about going out there, new experiences. Every road is a new road, and it, it challenges you. And I think it's just something that, in general, in life, you know, we need to have those challenges to, you know, to gain experience and and go forward. And yep. I mean, what better country to do it in, in North America with all the different terrain and, and especially the way of life, particularly here in Canada. I mean, people talk about the the American dream. I think we're living it in Canada, really, aren't we? Yeah. You know, it's... Uh, well said, yeah. You know, yeah, it's, true. Yep. it's so laid back over here, which that took some getting used to. Yeah, <laughs> yep. Big time. But um, without trucking, I, I don't think I would have made it over here because I got nothing else to give other than my experience in right, trucking. right. Huh. 
Fascinating. Okay. And and I, I guess I better uh, apologize here because I was saying that you drove in Europe, but you drove specifically in the UK. You never went. Not in Europe. Okay. Well, I drove in Europe because the UK is still part of Europe. Right, right. But never mainland Europe. Never mainland. Okay. <laughs> still learning the so you're still not So you're still not wrong with what you said. <laughs> awesome. Uh, okay, so what would you say are some of the major differences between driving in Europe versus driving in Canada, North America? Um obviously the vast distances for one uh, there's there's no way to comprehend until you actually start doing it how vast some of these distances are um, you get used to it Saskatchewan long haul Saskatchewan and the nice part about it you, I love driving through the prairies a lot of drivers don't I love driving up and down highway one you know because you can, you can see for miles and miles and miles and there's a stretch between Regina and uh, um, and Jaw, which is a is a nasty stretch, but on a right winter's day, it's absolutely stunning. It, it's like it's breathtaking. It really is, and I love to, uh, doing. Don't get me wrong; I wouldn't want to do it every single day. I do do the prairies a lot, but um, you might actually become the mayor of Moosejaw after that. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> beautiful Moosejaw. Adam Adamson said it on this episode. You can. I'm your man. <laughs> but no, it's. Um, uh, never big dis- uh, difference, I would say, it would have to be, um, so freedom is is the first one, uh, the amount of freedom that you got um, in open miles, mm-hmm. um, a lot more truck stops, e- even though it is in the six years that I've been here, or over six years I've been here, I have noticed, or I haven't noticed any significant increase in truck stops in Canada. Um, but I think we're lucky that even though that's not the case, we still got along major routes some smaller gas stations whereby mm-hmm. we can park um just in not the, walmart don't don't stop at a walmart uh walmart's not too bad really yeah we're still allowed to i mean they got signs there but no one comes out and says anything oh. um that's that's something you can do in the uk strangely I, enough i just i want our listeners who are in the states who are on the facebook groups i'm on to comment on this one because i see it all the time where Walmart is just getting them towed and fining them, and it, it seems to be a big issue in the states. I, I assumed it was in Canada too, but uh, obviously not. I have seen signs in the states, um, and I've spoken to all the drivers. Of course, you know, liaising with uh, with drivers uh, that have been over here longer, or you know, North North American drivers. Things are changing. Yeah. Um, we are getting um, less and less recognized, especially these big companies, and. For what reason that may be, I'm not too sure. I think it's a shame, especially that a big company like Walmart yep. that you know can provide just that little bit, just for a couple of truck drivers. I mean, you know, we don't do any different to anyone else who goes home every day of the week. We still got to eat. We still yep. got to you know do all these stuff. And if you don't allow us access to actually get to these places, well, I mean, it's almost like kicking the kicking the teeth, really. You want me to race into your Walmart to deliver on time? While my hours run out, but then you won't let me say in the empty parking lot to exactly. rest for my next shift. You know exactly. Yeah, yeah that's that's frustrating. That's... And I can understand the issue that they may have as well with uh, with a lot of trucks, especially when they're not parking close enough and they're taking up too much space. I think for a lack of communication, they've maybe progressed in this attitude um, to stop drivers from parking there. Right. Red actually liaising with uh, you know, or even having signs up the big sense or just allocate them small spaces. Yep, exactly. Even if it's around the back. But um, 
Yeah, that's one of the strange ones from over here. Yeah, I'd never done that in the UK. Parking in a supermarket in the UK is a big. In the UK, you couldn't even fit in a in a in a parking lot. Um, right, it's just the ways in and ways out are just way too narrow. So I'm just gonna throw this out here before we go to our next comment. We're using Walmart as an example. We're not singling them out. So Walmart, please don't sue me. <laughs> oh no, I mean, there's a lot of companies out yeah. there. It's um, I would say the general parking area where the general public has access, whether it be Walmart or any other major corporation, you know, a lot of this is happening. Yeah. Um, not so much in the smaller towns. In in, in the bigger cities, um, they tend to be a bit more stricter. But I can honestly say for myself, I've never had any issues with parking at Walmart. And I parked really? there a couple of times. And there are some that do actually allocate some parking spaces. One in Dryden, yep. they got a quite a big uh, parking, uh, parking uh, area for truck drivers. So there are, I would imagine, more out there that actually provide it. Yeah, interesting. But, would, um, this is going completely off script, but would you say in general that you have a challenge finding parking spots while you're on the road, specifically in the States? Because I see that as a as a concern too a lot of times with, uh, you know, some of the online groups I'm in um, where, you know, they pull into a, um, to a truck stop, the spots are all taken, or they're getting expensive because they're starting to charge quite a bit for the overnight stays. Um so w would you say that in general it's an issue or, or do you usually find it pretty easy to navigate? In the States, there's, um, it's a lot better in the States than it is in Canada. Um, and obviously that's just purely down to the volume of traffic right. uh, in the States. Um, it's it's better in the States? Like there's more parking, you mean? There is more parking available, okay. yeah. A lot more rest areas, uh, rest areas with services, your know, washrooms and whatnot. Mm -hmm. um, this, that's something that's really poor in Canada. Uh, particularly throughout the prairies. Alberta's a little bit better than Saskatchewan and Manitoba. The next um, rest area is only 1,300 kilometers away. <laughs> <laughs> Hold tight. <laughs> Tie several knots. <laughs> but um, in the U.S., they, what they've provided in the U.S., that there is more uh, parking available. Uh, but the one thing I am noticing that uh, some of the newer places they're opening, like Pilot, they're open, opening like uh, quite a few Pilot Express so they won't have showers and the the conveniences for drivers. Not with all the, all the ones that they're opening. So I, you know, this one in particular I'm talking about, it wasn't on a major route. Mm -hmm. um, but I was surprised that uh, there was a Pilot Express. You know, yeah. no no showers, several parking spaces for trucks, but no showers. I mean, that's just a basic that it's I would say a, goes yeah. hand in hand with parking spaces. But yeah. um, in general, in the US, it's not too bad. I think. Are we going to be talking about uh, EDLs a little bit later on? Or yeah, ELDs, we... yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so, a little bit, yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. I was going to you save that one? <laughs> yeah, I'll save that one for after then. <laughs> okay, awesome. So I, I want to... Uh... Oh, one other thing, a, a big difference. I would say oh, yeah. the, the, hours, uh, the, the hours of service, um, obviously they differ from Canada to the US. Uh, here in Canada, we can drive um, in a 24-hour uh, window. It's 13 hours of driving, one hour of other work. Um, in the US, is 11 hours of driving, three hours of other work. Uh, in Europe, the restrictions are ridiculous. Really? Oh, they're very strict. Um, the, the basics are you can drive for 45 hours in a week, so nine hours a day. You can extend it, uh, so on your sixth day, you can go up to 56 hours. I know that's a little bit confusing because mm -hmm. that would be otherwise 54. The truck drivers listening will understand. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you can go up to 56. That's the maximum you can do in a week. Because uh, two days in that week, you can go from a nine up to a ten-hour, ten-hour driving day. Okay. Um, but then the following week, you can only do thirty-four. So it's ninety hours in the space of two weeks. Wow. Um, 
That is short for, I mean, for our standards. Oh, for the standards over yeah, here. Yeah. But then uh, geographically there in the U uh, in Europe, it, I wouldn't say it really makes sense, but it's, you can understand the reason why mm -hmm. the roads are way more busier. Right. So the last one you want is drivers on the road for way too long. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the rules and regulations, uh, the driver's got to adhere to. Wow. So what we're saying in, in Canada is, listen, if you're going to drive from Winnipeg to Calgary on this one straight road, <laughs> go ahead, be tired. We're good. <laughs> You'll make it. <laughs> oh, no, it's, again, I, I think the governments have, have done well by not looking at the way things are done in Europe because right. it's way different over here. For sure, yeah. Um, and again, it's it's something you, you do get used to. I was, I was never used to driving that long. Right. Um, no different to driving a car, going into bus, uh, when I started driving buses. You get tired in the beginning, yeah. but you know you, you build up a resistance to it all. And Body gets used to it. Yeah. Same yeah. as over here, which, uh, but over here is much more liberating. It's way more easier. Yeah. See, I, I always stayed in the office instead of getting in a truck <laughs> uh, for a few reasons. But one of them is that if I drive for probably an hour and a half, I'm good for a nap. <laughs> so I'd have been a terrible long haul driver. <laughs> uh, okay, so I want to I want to uh, not jump back, but I want to talk a little bit about your experience uh, emigrating to Canada for work. And, and to live uh, specifically because it's it's something that a lot of drivers have done when yeah. they come here but also I think if we want to address the driver shortage I think it's something that more drivers are going to do so I don't know if we'll have listeners uh, across the globe but if, if they're listening uh, maybe you can just tell us a little bit about your experience emigrating to, uh, to Canada um, sort of what caught your attention about Canada and what were some of the major challenges you faced uh, to get here uh as I was saying earlier, um, I can't really narrow it down to one thing other than it started off as a as a buzz to come over here as a driver. Uh, that was the first and foremost. But before come, making that step, um, from 2006 up until 2012, uh, so all I done was research, uh, research, research, different areas, living areas, schooling. So I really went in depth with before coming over right. and even doing a research trip uh, in the June of 2012. Um, starting off in Calgary and then finishing up in Halifax. Um, were, before, you were you talking to companies during that research trip or was that purely you came on your dime, you just wanted to see what Canada was about? Oh no, before even coming over, I was talking to companies. Oh, okay. So I set up interviews before coming over. Right. Um, I got offered two positions or I got offered two jobs with two different companies uh, prior to coming over. Um, but then coming over, I had uh, a further eight interviews. It would have been more, but some of them bailed on the last minute. Right. Um, uh, for the companies, they they got a at the time they were LMOs. I'm not sure what they're called now. They've changed the name LMIEA, something like that. I don't know what you're saying. Labor market <laughs> impact opinion something. They they've changed okay. it every four years. Every scheme that the the government do is always a pilot scheme. Right. So every four years they got to tweak it somehow. So changing the name was one of them. <laughs> I think there was a band named LMFAO or something. Maybe oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, LMO. Uh, but the coming over here, um, for the company that I come over here with, uh, I don't know if I can mention any names, but I won't just in case. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the Clayson Group, yep. which is a company I'm still working for today. Um, the guy that brought me, or the guy that helped me, I wouldn't say that Clayson weren't an, an active company in doing those things, but nope. they had a person who knew how to do it from his previous experience. And um, I mean, he was a nice guy anyway, and uh, just hit it off with him straight from the start. So you didn't connect. You didn't connect with Clayson 
back in the UK from some recruiting effort of theirs, you no. connected them from like you outbound reaching out to them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, what I'd done, uh, there was uh, a couple of uh, forums that I was on, um, British uh, um, expat truckers abroad. And uh, you kind of got a, a flavor of uh, what type of companies are out there. Um, although you got to take a lot of the, a lot of stuff that's been said with a pinch of salt. We're coming from one type of work ethic and we're coming to another. Yep. So of course, we're always going to have a comparison based on what our previous experience is. Um, but I just, I literally went on Google Maps, went, on, went onto a city, typed in trucking companies and they come up and whichever one I didn't hear of, those are the ones I contacted. Okay. Because I purposely wanted to shy away from having too many, I mean, there's, there's certain companies that actively hire um, foreign workers. Yeah. And I'm not saying they, 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 it's not that they treat them bad or anything like that, but I think when you get a, a group of people together that have experienced something different, they're always strongly opinionate, opinionated on how something is rather than focus on what needs to be done now. Right. So that's something I wanted to stay away from, if anything. And um, and Clayson was one of those, uh, one of the eight companies, sorry, out of the 10 companies that I got offered the job with, um, I would say four of those don't actively although they did have LMOs, um, I never saw them on any expat forums or um, they didn't seem to actively right. be hiring. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the process, process itself, I started emailing companies uh, in, the, I think it was the December of 2011, um, right, in, right through until springtime 2012. And I told them all I was coming on a research trip and um, came over and, even the way that they um, that we were received, it was fantastic. Yeah. <clears throat> it really was nice. You know, every every person I spoke to always had something good to say, even about the next company I was going to, because they were all interested in what companies I was going of to. Of course, right. Yep. And surprisingly, surprisingly, they said, "Where are you going to next?" And whenever I said Winnipeg, "Oh, you going to Winnipeg? Why would you go there for?" <laughs> like, what's winter? <laughs> what's winter? <laughs> I presume you didn't come here in the middle of winter for your first trip. Oh no, it was in uh, in June. In June, June, oh yeah, June so. 2012 on a research trip. Right, nice summery. <laughs> oh, it was nice. Yeah. It was actually cold. Yeah. It wasn't that warm uh, that June. Um, and yeah, we flew back, made the decision to go with Clayson's, yep. um, which was a tough decision because there were some other good, good companies there. But I just liked what they had to offer in yep. terms of training. And you know you're in a good situation, especially when you're going for somewhere for employment. And the conversation of remuneration didn't even come in come into right. the conversation right which i was impressed because i i left feeling so satisfied with the answers i got given that it was only when we were halfway on our way to um new brunswick that i thought i don't even know i don't even know what the pay package is <laughs> I took the job i don't know how much it's gonna pay me oh at that time i didn't take it oh, okay <laughs> it was literally when we landed in the uk i went yep i know who i'm gonna choose right and then um I, the company does it they apply They've already applied for LMOs. They put my name on it, and then I came across. So then, for the first six weeks, uh, here in Manitoba, or here for the Prairies, or Manitoba and Saskatchewan in particular, after six weeks, you apply for the provincial nominee. Mm -hmm. um, and then once you get uh, the provincial nominee, that's what you use then to apply for uh, permanent residency. Okay. So it's basically the company will um, for the provincial nominee, you got to do like an English test and stuff like that, which I found quite funny. <laughs> but I, I completely agree with it. I really do agree with it. 
You found um, it funny because you came from from the UK. From the UK. <laughs> but then, when I think about Can it, you just speak English. Exactly. Listen, good sir. <laughs> we invented it. <laughs> well, I mean, our language. You guys want to mess it up? No. <laughs> um, with the language, I can fully understand it because people immigrate throughout the world anyway. So mm-hmm. there's nothing to say. Just because I, I no, I'm just because I'm British. I got British citizenship. Doesn't yeah. have to say that I can speak British or uh, speak English, right? Or even understand yeah, it. That's a good point. Yeah. You know, so uh, I can understand where they were coming from, but yeah. I completely agree why they do it. Mm-hmm. There's got to be a standard. Yeah. You know, people who come to this, I believe people who believe in immigration or believe in or wanting to emigrate. Wherever you're going to, you've got to be proud to want to be part of our system. You know, and, and if if you can't feel that pride, the pride I had when I became a, um, a permanent resident, it, it was it was nice, you know, it was it was way up there. Yeah. You know, not quite up there with, you know, the birth of my children or right, anything, right, but right. you know, it was one of it those big really proud moments. Because you've been accepted. Yeah. Yep. You know, all your credentials that you've that you've sent off, yep. you know, they've gone and give you a thumbs up and it's yep. you know, it's it's nice to feel wanted, isn't it? For sure. You know, absolutely. it's uh yep. Little did they know me, but <laughs> <laughs> but no, it was uh, it was a really nice moment. Huh. Okay. Very very cool. Um. So so you talked a little bit about how you you scouted out companies and how you started looking at Canada. Um. Talked a little bit about the permanent residency. What were some of the major? And I just want to ask this question for anybody who's like I say maybe thinking about coming here. What were some of the major hurdles you had, government wise, like uh, trying to get a visa i presume when you first came here it was on a work visa right like a temporary correct, work yeah. visa so was there any challenges in, in obtaining that or in maintaining it until you were able to get your permanent residency when uh, when an immigrant driver comes over whether um whether they've been scouted uh in the country of origin or indeed if they've come over um everything's been set up for that so um again i, I do apologize for not knowing uh, what it is now, but back when I came over, it was the LMO. Mm-hmm. So the company have already put your name on the LMO. Uh, you went down to the border. Um, back then, they gave you a two-year um, work visa. Okay. I believe it's only a one-year work visa now. Um, don't quote me on it, but that's right. what I believe they, they changed it to. Um, so in terms of that, it, it was very easy, very easy. Permanent mm-hmm. residency on the, hand, uh, on the other hand, um, or even the renewal of that uh, work permit. That's interesting because. Uh, so getting here was easy. <clears throat> getting it was easy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Staying here was hard. <laughs> Not the same part wasn't hard. It was it's trying to negotiate with people because I had friends and colleagues that I knew went down to the border to renew their uh, work visa, and of course because English wasn't their first language, they kind of helped them out, but. Yep. English is my first language, so I went to the board and like go online. No assistance. <laughs> no, exactly, no wow. assistance, and yep. and that's something that I found. I mean, it's nice on one hand that they do, you know, help the people that need it, yep. but when they say go online, you know, you can do it online, and especially when I'm actually at the board at Emerson, right. and I'm watching a couple that are being helped for the same query that I'm there for, right. and they get helped. Okay, it's two different people, two different offices, and the person says to me, "Just go online." That's frustrating. And I'm like, wow, come on. Yeah. You know, and that's what I felt like saying, but at the end of the day, those guys, obviously, whatever they say, you got to go with. Yeah. You can, I can go down in the following day, see someone else and Different not a answer. problem. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that was, um, that's been the most difficult is finding out exactly what to do next. Right. Because you go online and nothing is ever easy. You know, the way in which yeah. they print it, they don't, you know, it's not a, a straight cut, yes or no, or this is how to do it. So we, we rung, uh, up to uh, Vegaville, um, Alberta, 
because that's where they were, or at least that's where the call in uh, call center was, and uh, had many conversations over several different topics, and uh, even then, you'd be surprised how many different answers you get for the same question. <laughs> it it actually, it, the only thing I can relate that to is in in business, you want to apply for grants or any of these kind of funds. It's uh, the same thing. Like you look on the the website, and there's 15 pages of instructions. Which ones apply to you? And you have no you idea know. how to do it, right? <laughs> yeah. It's, so, but I think they do it to vet people who aren't serious. Yeah. I get that, right? Like, yeah, if you're not willing to put in the time and, and effort to do it. But the assistance channels should be there for the ones that are serious about it because it's pretty hard to navigate sometimes. Well, exactly. They, and again, just because these people work for those um, uh, constituencies or the, uh, these companies or whatnot, doesn't have to say that they understand the whole process themselves you know it's uh that's a good point it's an awkward one you know it's uh all it takes is to meet that right person and you're set right that's right yeah and if it's something that you want you're not going to give up at the first hurdle anyway so that's right you know it's you'll uh you'll find a way exactly yeah. if there's a will there's a way so so you've been in canada now six and a half years with the same company you started with so i, I presume i have the question here you know was it worth it i'm going to presume it, it was worth it making the effort in your opinion would i be correct in that uh, not at all. No. no. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, definitely. Um, it's. Um, I'm fortunate to have been with a company, or even started with a company, like as many drivers as I know. They're still they're not with the original company right. they came over with, yeah. and I feel for that I feel really happy with, happy in myself for having come over on a research trip to actually see it. Yeah. Not so much see it because there's only so much you can obviously see while you're on a research trip, but. At least to, to have made that decision to be of a company that was worth coming over here for. Yeah. Now coming over here was definitely worth it, whether it was a bad company or, or not. Um, and again, it's, it's down to the individual of what they want. I mean, a lot of people tend to come over here. I noticed when I come over, there was like some sort of trigger in people that I knew back in the UK of, of a truck drivers. Yeah, that's something I want to do. That's something I want to do. But they'll never, sit never back and it. ask me all the questions. Yeah. And I'm like, come on, if you want to do it, you know, I'll help you by, by all means. I'll always recommend the company to a driver, but I'll never recommend the driver to the company. Right, right. Because I've done that before and I got stung. Yeah. You know, and, um, and it is a lot of work. I mean, you have to be dead serious and committed. You're talking about moving across an ocean to a whole other uh, environment. It's like, not a short swear away, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not an easy move. You get here and you decide you don't like it. It's not exactly easy to just skip back, right? I mean, it, yeah. you got to want to do it. And, and that's the thing. There's a lot of drivers or a, a lot of people that, are looking for that next fix and they just I wouldn't say they want to live in people's footsteps but they see how other people have progressed and they think that's how, somehow how their life yeah. how they think their life should be yeah. but without wanting to work for it I think I think it's like anything right you see a successful person and you're like man that person just like they're lucky they got there it's easy they don't realize that person put in 10 years of like Hard grinding work and, exactly you know, you went know. through all the government <laughs> things that you've gone through and you know moving the family and all that stuff so uh nothing worth it is ever is ever easy uh so okay so for the for the people that are out there right now they've driven their truck wherever they are for a few years they're looking for a better opportunity canada's in line for them after everything you've been through with your experience uh coming here staying here would you recommend others do the same thing um, or you're like, no, man, Canada sucks. Like, stay where you are. Oh no, Canada is <laughs> a fantastic country. You know, it's um, 
it, it depends on the individual reasons to why they want to move really it's uh for me i had a fantastic situation in the uk um house cars no different to what i got now um, Ferraris, lambos yeah you know yeah. The, the usual yeah. truck of cars you know couple of toys when you're back home <laughs> <laughs> literally little car toys right <laughs> and um it just depends what what you really want it, it's definitely worth it canada's definitely worth it but it's like anything else in life it's it's whether you really want it um it's it's a nice dream it's nice in the summer then you got to realize it's also a winter unless you're lucky enough to live out in bc and only um, drive in bc in California. and only drive in bc yeah. yeah exactly it's um for me it was definitely worth it yeah. i mean you know i come from a fantastic country the uk um and there's there's a lot of things that you know are different from you over here and, and then vice versa mm -hmm. you know it's it's the typical canadian saying it is what it is it is you what know, it is it is what it is <laughs> you know and the nice thing over here with very little you can actually go a, a much you can go much further with very little over here than you can in Europe in general. Really? It's a lot more tough. You, you're competing against so many more people. Mm -hmm. um, whereas over, even just the way, you know, the banking situation, you know, how much they're willing to lend you. I would never get lent the amount of money that I got lent over here, yep. equivalent to. Um, price must be nicer to you than me because the bank won't lend me anything. <laughs> <laughs> I started off being really good with the banks, maybe not so much more yeah. anymore. Yeah, they used to lend me a lot. <laughs> yeah, I, I would definitely recommend if anyone that seriously wants to uh, change their life uh, um, for the positive, I, I would definitely recommend coming to Canada. So, but just do your homework because Canada is right. a very big country, and right. you know even the even the the uh, the provincial economies. I mean, look at Alberta. A lot of people were saying to me, "Come to Alberta, come to Alberta." The best way to look at any any situation is the housing market mm -hmm. and the housing market it just had so many ups and downs in alberta that i thought no i want to stay away from that area really you know, that that didn't do it for me that scared me off because when times are high when people are moving into the area the housing prices rocketed yep. esther hazy are going through that situation now yeah you know with uh, the potash mines house prices are ridiculous yeah and then look at the past three years now i believe three maybe almost four years yep. the uh, decline in oil yeah Alberta is, is Alberta's hurting. hurting yeah. Canada's hurting, but at least here in Winnipeg, we're in a fantastic situation where we're in the center of the country, so we can diverse into a lot of different yeah. um, other avenues, other than focusing on the oil sands. Yeah. But unfortunately, that's where a lot of money takes a lot of companies yeah, to. For sure. So, if if somebody was thinking about coming over doing a research trip like you did. Would you recommend they come in the summer like you did, or would you recommend they come in February, like see the real deal before you make a decision? Um, good question. I knew the winters were going to be cold. I didn't realize they were going to be this cold. <laughs> <laughs> but for me and what I do, uh, I actually prefer the winter. I'm not. I'm not saying I'm not a lover of summer. Um, it depends on uh, people's personal wealth and. Um, if it's an individual, if it's a, a guy that or uh, a woman that wants to come over by themselves, I would say it doesn't matter. I, I would recommend then to actually come over earlier on in the year to get some experience on the road. Okay. Yep. Uh, before actually, um, before winter comes around, 
because there's a, it, there's a lot to take in at different yeah. terrains, especially if they go over the mountains. Get used to the terrain, get used to the size of the vehicle. Like. I guess you don't want to just start immediately on the crazy oh, January no. blistery <laughs> ice roads. A lot of people do. A, lo- yeah. a lot of people I've spoken to have come over and they're, they're much braver than me because yeah. <laughs> I actually fought this through. Yeah. You know, For me, it was come over on a research trip, make my mind up. Okay, yeah. I didn't think I was going to be over, there, over here as quick as August. I thought maybe September. Right. But... Um, but that's what I wanted to get some a couple of thousand miles experience on the roads first. Yeah, get used to the vehicle and whatnot before you know those the seasonal challenges yep. you know come along. Good for you. That's smart. Yeah. Uh, depending smart. on if they got enough money to because the, the research trip was very expensive. I believe it. Very yeah. expensive. Yeah. And all out of your pocket. And all out of the pocket. Yeah. You know, it's um, it, for someone that has that amount of money, I, I would recommend it, especially if you've got a family. Yeah. So at least then it's a joint decision as to where in Canada you want to live because right. there's a lot of beautiful beautiful places. But if you're coming over as a truck driver, there might not be um, a company that can actually support what type of lifestyle that you want. Yep. You know, there's, a, there's a lot of things to take into consideration. And depending yeah, on what you come across with, a lot of people will come across with um, profits made from selling their properties and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, the only thing I can recommend to them, don't go crazy. I know quite a few people have gone crazy, bought the toys, the pickup trucks and whatnot, and they're back home. Yeah. You know, and, and they they talk about Canada like it's it's Canada's problem. It's Canada's the fault. reason why they've done it. Yeah. No. Yeah. You know, you live within your means. That's right. It's yeah. a very simple aspect of life. Yeah. <laughs> huh. Okay, so so let's uh shift gears a little bit. Uh, I want to talk about being a driver in today's environment. So driving a truck is a skilled trade uh, that hasn't seen growth in the average pay for almost forty years, if you can believe it. Uh, if you're a long-haul driver, you have to be away from your home for long stretches of time. The government is clamping down on how long you can work, uh, which some would say is also a clamp down on how much you can earn. And yet it might be the most in-demand job around with a shortage of 50,000 drivers today estimated to grow to almost 200,000 by 2026. So my first question on this topic to you is, how do you feel about the ELD mandate? Because it's a hot-button topic, obviously. And have you noticed it impact your pay at all since uh, implementation? Because I believe you're on ELDs now. Right? I have now, yeah. Um, with the e-logs, it's something I was used to in, over in, uh, in the UK anyway, um, under much stricter uh, guidelines as well. So they had ELDs back home oh, long back before in, we have them? Yeah, 2006, I believe, 2007. Okay. Um, I'm fortunate to work for a company whereby I don't feel I've been affected. Okay. Um, we're very, very lucky. We get paid really well for what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're respected in, in terms of being out on the road. You know, I'm back out tomorrow morning. If I want to be back by the end of the week, I put a timer for Quest. If they can't do it for whatever reason, you know, we, we talk. Right. So there's no forced dispatch, you know, which is nice. Um, Getting we, home is easy. Getting back out sometimes is the hard part. Sometimes that's the hard part. Yeah, <laughs> the, the amount of freedom that we do have, and it, you know, it's uh, it's really good. But with the my, I don't think my pay is 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 changed. I, no, I can't say my pay has changed with uh, with uh, the logs. Okay, I think it's down to where we actually operate. We don't operate in the bigger cities uh, as much as some companies do. Right, that's where the drivers will you know, eat up a lot of time. Um, I think it's, it, it, I've had this discussion, uh, uh, previously, I'm, uh, currently do a course, um, not sure if I can mention that. Of course, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Uh, for the CITT and, um, we were having a, an open discussion and there was a couple of people that put comments in about, um, e-logs 
and uh, they were saying that there was adding to the safety of the roads and whatnot and stuff like that. I agree with. Uh, yeah. Sorry, I disagree with. Disagree. Yeah. Um, if you're, if your term, if if the terms and conditions of pay is based on distance, then putting a limit on time. What what's yeah. going to happen? People are going to rush. That's right. You know, so it's. Uh, for the North American market, is a very interesting situation. So I don't think there's there's going to be a a good solution for it. You can't pay drivers. Um, you can't if you're going to salary them. You're going to get a lot of companies that are going to try and take advantage by forcing drivers out, mm-hmm. um, or to do a minimum minimum amount. Um, I think the way in which the pay is is good how it is now. I think that in the US, what they did when they brought it out. Everything was based on a, a trial and error sort of basis. While, like in the US now, what they're changing, they're changing certain aspects of it. So, like uh, in the US, you can drive. If you've run out of time at a customer's uh, 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 premises, you can actually drive to somewhere safe to park and not be penalized for it. Situations like that, that makes sense. Yeah. A lot of things got to change. One thing I really would like to see change, and I think this would make the most sense of all of it, if um, if we didn't get penalized for any hours that we actually done physical work especially with what i do um flat deck yeah so with the e-log as soon as you switch your e-log on for uh, uh pre-trip say uh, eight o'clock in the morning uh here in uh, in canada you got 14 hours okay you can extend up to 16 hours but as long as you have two hours in between um so your clock is always uh, counting down whereas on the e-log we could be, uh, on a paper log we could always be uh Manipulative, yeah. yeah. You know, if you had a, <laughs> I always used to say to my to my boss, look, it starts as a lie up in the mind, yep. but by the time it gets the pe- uh, the pen hits the paper, it's a legal document. That is the truth. <laughs> 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 and, um, I think that's the, that's the biggest worry of most drivers is that the fact that they know that their time is taken and they yep. they haven't got no freedom. But if yeah. if they were to take away. Um, so, so like I said, especially for us in, in Flat Deck or um, I don't know how it, how it works out for um, reefers or um, box van uh, drivers. So if they're at the dock, if they got to actually log all the hours that they're on the dock as on duty, I think that's something that they just get, get rid of. We've already got a, an operating window from the time that we start to the time that we got off. From the time that we start, it's already counting down. Yeah. So why further penalise us? We can't, in that day, we can't physically do any more work. Right. But if you take that, if you um, scrap the rule whereby um, our hours go against us for for on duty time, so yeah. whatever else we do, that could mean an extra day or two uh, at the end of a, a work uh, at the end of a, a two week period. And any concern though that if they if they did that, if they gave you a, a sort of penalty free time for tarping and, and strapping and all kind of stuff, that the concern for the safety is is how long you're how much time throughout your day you're spending on duty right so yeah. if you don't get penalized for those hours and you wind up driving or you, from the start of your day to your end of day is 17 hours does that not still affect the, the safety aspect that they're talking about well well no because even if you're the customer and see um it's gonna regardless how long it takes you it's gonna take you that long whether you're on duty or not but as soon as you start your e-log, your time is ticking down anyway, so you can't you can't work anymore on right. that day. Right. So if they were to take that away, that would mean, say, um, if I was securing and tapping, uh, say, a, a lumber load took me two and a half hours, 
and not getting even though I'm logging it so that they can see what time gets dedicated to where. Yeah. Uh, but those two and a half hours, they don't go against me. But that doesn't mean I can I can work an extra two and a half hours on that day. But towards the end of that week, if I'm if I'm doing on average, say every every two oh, days, I understand what you're saying. Okay, yeah. So yeah. every two days, oh, I'm doing a bit of work. Yeah. So it depends on what uh, what um, uh, rotation you're working. Right. You got uh, uh, we're doing um, seventy hours in seven days, or you got uh, some companies to do I think 120 and 14 days. Yeah. So that would allow you to do that extra little bit more. But uh, that's where I'm hoping that um, that's where I can see the biggest shift in terms of um, productivity that will allow every driver to work that extra day if they want of course right. if he or she wants to do it yeah but to me I, I can't see why they want to they need to penalize us because we can't do physically any more work in that day anyway and, and it's such a balance too right like if you're being penalized let's call it yeah. for, for tarping a load strapping a load and you're rushing through it i mean the dangers of rushing through strapping down a load of pipe or lumber properly, if you don't do it properly, like, how dangerous is that on the road? Is that less dangerous than you being a little more tired? Like, I don't know, right? Like just as dangerous. Just as dangerous. If if anything, well, yeah, yeah, just as dangerous. I mean, you shouldn't drive tired, and you certainly shouldn't drive with a with an insecure load because yeah. yeah. you put you put yourself and others at risk. And Another, yeah. you know, it's. I think I'm hoping that that's the way that they're going to go in the U.S. Unfortunately for us, in uh, unfortunately for us here in Canada, we don't really follow the U.S. per se. But when they make significant changes, we tend to go on the back end of it. Yeah, we have no choice. Yeah, and um, and it's not mandated here in, uh, until next year, I believe. Yeah, I January so. uh, was it July first? It's, right it's coming up. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what they, what they do, especially here in Canada, especially where the da- uh, the, the distances are so vast. Right, and that's. That's the difference. I think now, without saying it, I think for people who actually look into this situation, especially the Elox with drivers, I'm hoping now that they actually appreciate that extra step that a lot of the drivers used to do to get the job done, yep. which I don't think was... I'm not saying we got to be appreciated pat on the back because, you know, some of us didn't work within the guidelines that were set out, yep. but it held an industry. That's right. And I think that now, especially where... I mean, the decline of drivers has been happening for such a for such a long time. Um, same as in Europe, exactly the same thing is happening. And I'm not sure whether rule changes would really bring forward new drivers per se, but it'll definitely keep the drivers that we have on board. And I think that's something that we need to start looking at now, immediately, rather than waiting. The problem is we got too many people who are making these decisions. They've never sat in the truck. You know, and they don't know how it works. Yep. You know, and it's um, got to see it in a in a logical sense, and mm-hmm. especially with this hours of service. Like I said, I can't see why we need to be penalised for work because, like I said, we just don't work anymore in our day anyway. So, but that will give an extra day or two. And you imagine the amount of truck drivers out there that will maybe even want to do that extra day. Right. So I mean, in, in terms of uh, you know revenue gained. You know, throughout the North American continent, uh, continent that would be significant. How many more shipments are getting moved? Exactly. Per week, per month, yeah. That's a big deal, yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Okay, so sort of on that note, uh, you mentioned uh, pay by mile, which yeah. is how the majority of long-haul drivers are paid. Uh, but I mentioned uh, sort of in the opening to this little section about 
driver pay essentially hasn't gone up in 40 years, which is pretty brutal. Yeah. Um, do you think there needs to be a fundamental shift, a fundamental change in the way drivers are paid? Or do you think that companies just need to start charging more and shelling out more to the drivers with the system that is there today? The awkward situation that we find ourselves in, if we, if our salaries go up, the price of transport is going to go up. That's right. So, I mean, it's there's no situation that's that's really going to be favorable no matter how you do it. We actually talked about this on the last episode, too, is the same thing, that if driver salaries go up or driver pay goes up, well, the cost of goods at the excuse. end goes up, too, right? Yeah. They wind up paying more at Walmart. You know, and, and no one wants to do that. Yeah. You know, we all want these cheap products. Yeah. And I, I, I speak to a lot of drivers, and especially the older drivers. I love hearing the stories of old, how they used to do things. Mm-hmm. And and with the pay, I, I've spoken to a lot of owner, owner-operators that earned way more back in the 80s than they do now, and, and that's frightening. That and especially with the, the operating costs, they've gone tenfold, if anything, yeah, with right. death. And you, know, you, you, can't, you can't book your truck in, into a shop here in Canada for an average price of less than $150 an hour. Right. And I mean, how, how are they supposed to encourage even owner-operators? It's, there's, there's, yeah, that's a really tricky one. So I don't yeah. think, you, you can't please, you're never going to be able to please anyone. No matter how much money you want to pay someone, you know, you're never going to please them. Right. I think for what companies need to focus on is not just saying that they appreciate drivers, but actually show it but not just with drivers with everyone at the company mm-hmm. make them feel part of it you'll be surprised you can have people that you don't pay as well but you treat them like they're worth everything to you yep. and they will they will they will run through brick walls for you i, I think the mo- the the best companies i've ever seen run specifically on the trucking side are the most efficient ones but not the ones that are efficient by i don't call it abusing their people but you know yeah. you can be efficient by like forcing everybody to work twice as hard as they should and but i think it's the ones that are efficient because the employees feel part Part of it it. right they're happy they want to do the best job they can and we need more of that anyway my opinion i think that's a that's a vital ingredient you know in uh, in any business you know it's uh, especially with a business with people you know you can't solely focus on yourself and you know everyone's got um, targets and limits that they want to that they want to reach but how you get there that's the most important right and if you start working against, or if you put yourself in a position whereby you're working against a workforce, I mean, while well, you're hanging yourself out that's to dry there. Stick. Yeah, definitely. You know, and, uh, and that's what a lot of companies need to focus on. But unfortunately now, they, the word efficiency gets thrown about, but no one seems to really <laughs> right. yeah. grasp the concept of it. If you've yeah. got good people working for you, and you know a good manager knows how to get the best out of, uh, the best out of his or her employees. Yep. And if you've got someone like that, a true people person, that can actually engage and connect with the individuals there, they'll do a fantastic job anyway. Yep. You know, there'll be little guidance that, that, that they're gonna need. And that's where true efficiency will come from because everyone will take, they'll start taking care and pride. That's the thing. Yep. As soon as you get people to that stage where they, they feel a pride in what they do, efficiency is it's just gonna be part and parcel of daily life. Adam Adamson is taking the CITT course. Uh, here in uh, Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. And if you're looking for an outstanding manager to run your dispatch uh, <laughs> team at some point, uh, hit him up. We'll uh, <laughs> we'll just contact info. Much obliged. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so you've been in the industry somewhat 15 years. You've been driving for 12 now. I'm gonna let you play the uh, the the seasoned driver role. So for the for the young bucks out there thinking about 
jumping in and becoming a long haul truck driver. What makes a good long haul truck driver? Um, wow. <laughs> <laughs> what makes it depends on what type of work you do because of course in in driving, I myself I'm I'm doing flat deck. Uh, you got. Um, I like to class myself. I'm not a lover of the the term professional driver, because okay. I think it's only ever used against us and not for <laughs> us. Uh, we're supposed to know better because we're professional, right? Um, I just like to see myself as a as a good trucker who knows what he's doing. But no matter how many loads I haul, there's always going to be loads out there that I've never hauled. Right. It's always going to be something different. Yeah. Um, what makes a good truck driver? Was that the initial question? That was then? the question. Right, yep. That was the question. <laughs> what makes a good truck driver? I think it's someone that's willing to. You got to be open, because there's a lot of challenges. Um, a lot of challenges out there, and uh, especially as a driver, uh, you're driving down the road. There's so much focus that you got to focus on. Driving has got to become second nature. Mm -hmm. You can't be focused on your driving at all, especially this time of year, uh, especially when you're doing flat deck or more specialized stuff. Your eyes are everywhere else. So I think um, what makes a good truck driver is the start to begin with is getting to a level whereby you're comfortable, whereby you're not thinking about too much about driving. Right. And it takes a couple of years to get there because in, in the beginning, you know, you, you want to make sure you're in the right gear. Um, you don't want to miss a gear. And all of that comes in time with even the sound of the engine and getting used to the truck that you're driving because every truck is different. It could be the same fleet but they all drive different. Oh, there's a huge difference. Really, yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it, it is really funny to think because yeah. from the outside, they all look the same, but they drive different. I used to own a, a lot of Neva, little Russian SUV, <laughs> and every time I got in, it felt like a different vehicle. So I kind of understand what you're saying. I thought third gear was there yesterday, but it's not today. <laughs> or it's amnesia. Every day's a new day. <laughs> is, it, is it safe to say, too, that, um, that long-haul truck driving, especially in North America is um is a passionate uh career choice like you have to you have to really love that job to do it well would you would you agree with that i would i would definitely agree with it I would, that stands for every job i think mm -hmm. um, fair enough yeah you, oh, we all want to be in that situation where we feel like we've never worked a day in our life that's when you know you're in a good job right um Ask the question again. <laughs> My mind was just <laughs> trying to go away too quick there. No, I, I think that uh, I think we answered it. Uh, you know, what makes a good long haul truck driver? Um, maybe there isn't like two or three specific things, but it sounds like it takes a little bit of time to get that comfort level to the point where you become air quotes professional, a good, good <laughs> trucker, as you said, and and I think a little bit of a uh, little bit of love for what you do. I mean, you can't be on the road away from the family 13 hours a day with nobody to talk to uh, other than the other guy on the on the cb radio once in a while if you don't love what you do i mean you're, you're oh, especially mind, if, right? yeah, yeah you gotta you gotta be able to enjoy your own company yeah you know it's uh modern technology plays a fantastic role these days because i mean you can stay connected to a lot of people um, facetime and stuff like that so you know, I, I feel even though when I started trucking, this wasn't the case. Okay, cell phones were always about, of course, but um, but being away from home now, you can just pick up a phone and, you know, you can be talking to them and, and seeing the family at home. Yeah. So it, it makes it a lot easier than what it used to be. Um, but, yeah, you just got to be able to be comfortable being on your own, making decisions on your own. Yep. Um, and you, you, you truck driving, I... 
I think it's something that you live as well. And it's, it's the family support. If your family doesn't support you, I would recommend for any driver not to do it. His yeah. immediate family, like um, his or her immediate family, the boyfriend or girlfriend, right. whoever's at home, if there's no real support, I mean, don't do it because it's... Just too hard. It's just too hard. Yeah. It really is. And at no point is the other person going to get used to it. I mean, you can't get used to someone not being here. Yeah. You know, and it's... Um, it's Again, it's, it's a lifestyle. Yeah. It's got to be support from both sides. You guys are kind of like... Uh, Hollywood celebrities, you know, you see the celebrity <laughs> couples and they never get to see each other because they're always on the road shooting movies. Exactly, you know. Yeah, it's, there you go. Some of the things, well, I wouldn't go as far as saying that we're celebrities. <laughs> I mean, in the eyes of the you low, might be after this. <laughs> well, you never know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so last question there was uh, you got to play the senior driver. Now I want you to take a an expanded role beyond that. Okay, if you were the president of the world. Oh, wow, okay. <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> no pressure. And your number one uh, task, your number one mandate was to deal with the driver shortage in North America. What would be the first thing or first couple of things you do? How would you do it? This is going to surprise you because we've had a couple of conversations mm-hmm. about this in the past. Uh, I genuinely think that modern technology is the only way that we're going to take care of this driver shortage. Wow. And it's not something that I, I'm proud of yep. of saying because uh, I'm quite old school when it comes to that. I don't even want to jump in an automatic. Yep. You know, I love a manual. Right. I like riding the gears and yep. knowing what gear I'm in. And, yep. um, hey, you're a true trucker. I mean, that's that's my impression of you is you're, you're kind of the old school, like get up and, get, her, you know, yeah. and get it done. You yeah. know, it's, um, and like I said, I, I, I really, I hate to say it, but I, I think modern technology is, you know, is the only way that we're going to really take care of it is it's something I thought about so much and I, I, I don't think there's an easy there is no easy solution I, I think it's um, it's a culture of today I think financially that could be an incentive for more people to, to join the industry or particularly in truck driving but I think with uh, today's society um, and especially the way in which um, all these distractions that we got around us, I think that that plays a, a big role in how we want to live our lives. Mm-hmm. And there's not a lot of younger people that actually want to be away from home. Yeah. And I think that's one of the major um, ways to tackle it. In I don't know shorter runs, maybe set up um, um, some. Um, um, Oh, how do you call it? Uh, the hub spoke. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so the dr- uh, drivers have shorter runs, yep. um, so that they're home more regular. Yeah. Um, sort of like the, the switches, like go more blue, switches. Blue kind of thing yeah. and head back home, and the other guy takes it west. A lot of companies, I, I see Bison doing that a yep. lot now. Yep. They're doing it a lot. Um, it does take a pretty significant workforce to be able to pull that off. Oh, most definitely. Yep. It, it's yep. not something that I would recommend any small uh, any small company to try and right. do because. Uh, <laughs> Unless it's your two guys. Yeah. <laughs> Winnipeg, exactly. the Moose yeah. John, Moose John, Calgary. <laughs> yeah, it's, that's a real tough one. It really is a tough one. And I don't think even even by lowering, even by the uh, the Canadian government lowering the standards to bring in immigrant drivers, yeah. I don't think that that's even going to help the situation. Right. It will only, it will soften the blow a little bit. But even then, um, I think the government has got to do a bit more with us immigrant drivers that they do bring over. There should be a minimum amount of years whereby we should be expected to actually drive, right? Because otherwise, it's 
and this is me saying this, mm -hmm. and at some point I would like to progress in my career and right. get out of the track, but I think there should be a, a minimum expectancy of what to expect. But then again, that might alienate, alienate some people from coming over here. But I think it's... That's an interesting thought. It could take you two and a half years, maybe three years to get put in residency. Yeah. And then you can do whatever you want. Right. I was lucky. After my... my uh, the, the first... Um, oh, what's the name of it? Visa. My visa. first re uh, work... Re work visa, not work visa. <laughs> I got all German there. I have work visa. Uh, after my uh, my first uh, work visa for two years, when I reapplied, and I, I sat with two other drivers. Those were two other drivers. One was from Korea. The other one was uh, uh, from Israel. Their next permit had all of Clayson's details. Clayson was the only company they could work for. They were forced to work there. I had open open uh, work visa. Interesting. I could have I done any job anyway. But they had to stay in trucking for Clayson. Is that because of where you came from versus where they came from, or was that just? I think it's know? purely down to whoever processed my application. You were friendly; they liked you, and they're like, "Yeah, no problem." <laughs> so, this is actually because of where they came from. They came on here on based on a on a program. Oh no, I, I came over on a program as well. Yeah, but but uh, Koreans and Israelis come here much more facilitated, but they get much shorter work things. I'm not sure if you guys can hear that, but our producer Ben in the corner, who also came to Canada from another country, is saying that it's it's specific to uh, to what country they came from. So that's that's interesting. Yeah. I think it might be, but then the first the first work permit we both had, it was three of us. It was all a two year work permit, which is it was standard back then. I can't say I don't know if that's still the case now because I know that a lot of things have changed. Yep. But yeah, we all reapplied because obviously it was around about the same time. I got one, and I I can agree with uh obviously where i'm from that could have played a part as well but, but under the queen on, yeah yeah <laughs> i work for the queen <laughs> you came on canadian experience right do you remember what the program was called was it canadian experience or international experience their programs are have like a very different name oh like, right now i get like you yeah, yeah very different it's, yeah. it's not even work permit it's like it's very different it's not experience or something like if you're not from Korea, you can't apply for that program. Yeah, it's only hmm. specific to them. Interesting. I have a few friends that are like that Korean. It was skills based. I know that for yes. me it was. Yeah, okay. skills based. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so so uh, on your on your thought of it's modern technology that's going to truly address the issue as a as a truck driver, somebody who's been in the industry, somebody who's not going to retire in the next five years unless you have some kind of windfall, I presume. Yeah, <laughs> uh, next Friday. <laughs> does does the prospect of autonomous trucks, driverless vehicles, does, it, does that concern you at all? Like if it's the solution, is it the total solution? It completely freaks me out if I'm, yeah. if I'm being honest. It's something that, um, I mean, it, it's, it, there's so many different ways to approach this, how, how this is going to happen. On the one hand, there's going to be uh, drivers out of work. I think it's going to take a long time for this technology to actually come in mm -hmm. and actually be the way... Um, but it really freaks me out. I think it freaks out. I mean, I mean, it should freak out anybody who's a, who's a driver as a career. If it was me, it would it would concern me too. In in the sense that if this comes in and it and it hits and it works, how do they make it so that drivers stay employed in some level? Um, I think it's going to be a real 
a real challenge. So, so on that note, one of my questions to you, the next question to you, sort of the last question of the, of the day was going to be, what advice would you give to a young person or somebody that's considering coming into the trade to becoming a, a truck driver with, with the thought now of, boy, in 10, 15 years, this career might not even exist. Would you recommend to new people to enter the industry? Uh, for anyone that loves uh, loves driving, I, I would say definitely. Um, regardless of their age, you know, young, old, if you want to see parts of the country and you're at that age or you're at that stage in your life where you want to do a bit of traveling, okay, you don't always get to enjoy it all, <laughs> but I, I would definitely recommend it, even if it's just for a short um, short uh, um, time span. Mm-hmm. I would still recommend it. Um, I think it's going to take some time before... The, um, before these new technologies are going to come out in full because there's so many that are actually on the plate. We've got electric, we've got hydrogen. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's so many different technologies that they, they're bringing out so close with one another yep. or that they're actually working on. Um, and that's without even government interference. I mean, where the, where's the government going to get taxes from all this? Yeah. You know, and, and even if they Good do, point. you know, where, you know, there's going to be such a long process. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see what happens because it's it's not it's always a knock-on effect, isn't it? It's, I mean, Germany they they've just got some hydrogen-powered um, trains. Yeah. They've actually gone for more as well. Right. So I mean, when you get countries like that, um, especially industries, Volkswagen, one of the biggest car dealers, uh, car manufacturers in the world, they just uh, committed to billions and billions yep. of euros that they're going to switch their plants over. Yep. When you see change like that actually start to happen. That's when you know it's it's, you know it's, it's going yeah. to come quick. Okay, so so advice would be if you love it, you want to travel, do it. It's definitely not at the point it. now where it's don't do it. Oh but, no, most but, definitely not. But be aware and maybe yeah. sort of have a plan B that you might want to work towards in the next decade or so. Oh, definitely have a plan B. It's um, yeah, I'd say in the next decade maybe two. Yeah, because it's always going. It depends on what type of work you do as well. I think here in Canada we're going to be pretty lucky because. We got too much, uh, too many other things that can hinder this process. Yeah. Uh, the climate for starters, um, so it's definitely something that I would. Uh, you know, if you're young, I would look into doing it. Yeah. And even if you're, you know, at that age, regardless of the age, if you like traveling and you want to see a bit of the country and you, you like being behind the wheel, definitely do it because it's so liberating. I mean, I'm going to throw this out there too especially with the way the economy is in North America right now yeah. and specifically in the States where it's still, um, it's picking up, but there's still a lot of people that are unemployed. If you're looking for a secure job that you're probably going to get employed pretty quick for at least a, a significant period of time, let's call it a decade, uh, go be a truck driver. I mean, you're in demand. Exactly. Right? People the, need you. This is what I can understand why they haven't got no programs in place in, yeah. in, in place like that where it, Again, it's it's a it's a system that's defeating itself. Yeah, you know, it's you encourage people towards areas that that are high in demand, yeah. and it's not like as truck drivers you don't get paid well for what you do. I mean, you got to be careful of who you choose to yeah. work for, of course. Um, but you know why though, right? Because if you go to university, your kid goes to university and pays a hundred grand to become an engineer. Or he goes to truck driving school and pays five grand to be a truck driver. <laughs> the schools make a lot more money off the engineer that's paying a hundred grand. Well, exactly. Right? Yeah. It always boils down to money. That's the thing. Everything is money. Yeah. But the, yeah, it's go be a truck driver. Yeah. You're needed. Go be a truck driver. If only Bernie Sanders uh, managed to get in, right? <laughs> oh and, uh, God, another conversation. Yeah. You know, uh, <laughs> 
But no, I was saying that even though Trump is actually pro for you know fossil fuels and whatnot, so and even then, the way in which the the market is is just doesn't really cater for it. It's the whole world is shifting, and we need the shift. We do. Yeah, we do need the shift towards uh, better ways of working. But how we get there and how we reach there, of course, everyone there's going to be plenty of people that are going to hurt in the in the process. Just hope that the people that are making a lot off it are willing to give back to the That's system. Right. Yeah, and. Um, but no, trucking is definitely something that uh, is definitely to be proud of, and especially a flat deck trucker. <laughs> when you're driving down our highway and it's been minus 30, minus 40, and you've been working outside tapping that load and it looks nice, yeah. and you drive past someone pulling a reefer and you think, huh, yeah, you got it easy. <laughs> but trust me, in the beginning, I wished, before even going out there to tap the load, I wish I was a reefer driver. <laughs> Awesome. Well, listen, man, this was uh, this was a lot of fun, and we went through a lot. This was probably our longest episode. Uh, I want to finish off with one thing. I did notice that you used very little slang in today's conversation, which is pretty done my best unnatural <laughs> in, in our conversations. I've known Adam now for probably five years, and it took me two years to understand what he was saying. <laughs> Still over six, over six years, even yeah, over six years, it's pretty much as a been right, yeah. right. Uh, so I, I wanted to have a little fun just to finish this off. I want to give you a couple of British slang words that I've heard you use before, right. and I want you to explain to our, our listeners what they are in Canadian English or American English, okay? So let's start with a lorry. A what? <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, lorry is a, a truck. Lorry. 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 That's what I said. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know where the word came from. Uh, but in, in the UK, you've got, um, when you're going for your license, you've got your uh, HGV uh, and you've got your LGV. Okay. Um, and I don't know, I don't know exactly where that word come from. Um, most of the time, most of the time we say truck driver, but when you mean, when you say lorry, it's an articulated vehicle. People know that it's distinctively an articulated vehicle. And if you say, uh, normally HGV is just heavy, heavy goods. Right. Uh, I believe, yeah, uh, long goods vehicle, which is uh, LGV. Lorry, Don't quote truck. me on that. I'm going to I'm gonna have to look back <laughs> on that. But, yeah, lorry is only ever in conjunction with uh, um, uh, uh, tractor-trailer combination. Okay. The boot. The boot. Or as in giving someone the boot or as in the boot, as in trunk? Speaking in that. Oh, trunk. Trunk. <laughs> so the boot is a trunk. That's a trunk, yeah. The bonnet. Um, the bonnet, that's the hood. The hood. The blower. Oh, it's a telephone. Telephone, okay. <laughs> the Hoover. Oh, it's a, uh, it's a Hoover. Um, you still call it a oh, Hoover, don't you? I still call it a Hoover. Um, vacuum. Vacuum, <laughs> vacuum cleaner, yeah. <laughs> now, now, here's some actual slang words that I've heard you use before that I obviously don't use, but I might incorporate. Bollocks. What does bollocks mean? i seen that in the email you sent. No, it's actually bollocks. <laughs> oh, it's not It's not a U, it's an O. It's an O. <laughs> bollocks, Okay. When I was reading through this list, so I read over what you sent yep. me, and I was reading it, and I was eating toast, and when I got to the bit where you said you wanted to have a bit of fun, and yep. I literally spat my toast out, <laughs> so I thought it was so funny. Um, bollocks is when um, someone, you know, when you're, when you're in disbelief over something, you know, that's, that's bollocks, that is. Um, it's, it's not really like a, a really bad swear word, but it's one of those things you don't, in the UK, we don't generally swear around women and children. Right. Uh, around women, it's normally only when they swear themselves. But even then, you kind of tame yourself back. It's something that you just, you know, just automatically do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, bollocks is like, um, oh, balls to that. Nah. Okay. 
knackered. Knackered. <laughs> now, my grandmother, uh, my nanny Flowers, she never used to like me using this word because she was always she'd always say that it means sexually exhausted. <laughs> Which uh, I don't think it actually does, but I think it might have been something that it depends on what area, what area in the UK you're from. Okay. Even though we might use the same words, people might have a different interpretation of it. Right. Uh, knackered basically means tired or something that's worn out. Or um, yeah, my truck's pretty knackered at this point. <laughs> <laughs> but they all derive from somewhere. I mean, like the uh, the bonnet. I'm pretty sure that's. Um, well, a bonnet, another word for a bonnet is a hat. Right, yeah. Uh, is a, a rimless hat. Yep. And um, uh, so, yeah, a lot of a lot of words, they come from, the origins are, are quite interesting as to where they come from. It's, it's like the uh, couple of sayings, like um, it's raining cats and dogs. Yep. Um, they always have a good story. All of them, yeah. And that was literally, because back in the day with the thatch roofs, that's where the animals used to be because yep. it was the warmest place. And then when it started raining, they would fall from the ceiling. So it was literally raining cats and dogs. <laughs> funny <laughs> enough, I actually read that just the other day. Oh, you read that the <laughs> yeah, other day, did you? funny. Well done. Okay, last one. Dodgy. Dodgy. Oh, that's dodgy, dodgy character or something that's... Um, uh, see, now, I look through this list and I thought, yeah, that's that, that's that, that's that. But because it's just terminology that I just throw out there because it's just yep. you, know, you don't think about it dodgy is something um, um, not kosher it's not kosher it's, uh, it's dodgy um, uh, you, you could say about your um, about your pickup oh it's a bit dodgy it's, it's not working properly or someone who's a bit shady a bit of a shady character there's a dodgy character over there yes. um, so it depends on what context you say it, it could have several meanings see th this didn't work out quite the way I wanted because I presumed throughout the conversation some of these gonna words were going to come up <laughs> And, so, and some of our non-UK listeners would be like, what is he talking about? And we would explain it at the end, but you were professional, so good to you. Okay, like, listen, that's uh, that's the end of the show. Uh, that, was, that was a ton of fun. Uh, Adam, thank I you really for enjoyed being here it. with us. Good. Oh, no, thank you very much, Dan. Thank you very much, Ben. Yeah, big much thank obliged. you most to Ben, as always, and, and past Bedtime Studios for, for having us here. Otherwise, as always, it's just two guys talking in a room. 